0: Equality of educational opportunity has long been a stated goal of education in this province. The polka dot door, the polka dot door, let's peep through the polka dot door. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to Saturday Night at the Movies. My name is Elwi Yost.
1: Today's special, shout it loud and clear. Today's special.
0: It was September 15th, 2006, and I was about to interview our very first guest on the agenda. The show was brand new. We'd spent months preparing for it, and everyone was a little nervous about how it was going to go. The guest was none other than Conrad Black. It was a particularly timely interview. A week before, he'd just been called to court in the U.S. on charges of tax evasion. His legal team was in the midst of trying to get the case thrown out, and his name was all over the news. During the interview, he admitted something surprising at the time. He was trying to get his Canadian citizenship back after renouncing it years earlier.
1: I always said that I would uh, take my citizenship back, and if it wasn't for all these legal problems, I would have done it by now.
0: Other journalism outlets picked up that bit of information, and soon our new program was all over the papers. Not bad for a first episode. Well, after that interview aired, the producers and I gathered around the table to celebrate getting that first show on the air. And then it hit us. We have to do this again tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day. In fact, every weeknight. Well, we're now into our 15th season of The Agenda. Never imagined it would last that long. Today on TVO at 50, we speak with the man who set the standards we try to meet every day, The Agenda's founding executive producer, Dun Dunsky. I guess I should introduce you, right? Yeah, well, let's start that way. (laughs) <laughs> okay. <laughs> who is this person that Steven is having yeah, a conversation who, who with? who am I talking to anyway? <laughs> well, this guy's name is Dun Dunski, and he is the co-creator and first executive producer of a little program that's been running for 15 years on TVO called The Agenda. Do I have that right? I believe you do, yeah. I, I believe so. Hey, listen, let's, let's go back to the beginning. How did you end up at TVO in the first place?
1: Oh my, really the beginning. Um, well, uh, in the mid 1990s, um, I, wa- I had made the decision that I wanted to try my hand at journalism. Um, i had never set out to be a journalist, Steve, as you probably know. I mean, I studied philosophy. I sure philosophy. do know. Where did you come from? Well, I, I mean, I came from Montreal, but I came to Toronto in the late eighties, uh, to study philosophy and classics at U of T, uh, at. And um, I had fully intended to pursue a, 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 an academic life, but life intervened and I had to get a job. Um, and um, I, was a, I was a halfway decent writer. So after trying my hand at a couple of different things, um, in the mid-90s, I started writing, um, I guess, journalistic pieces. And that led to a recommendation from a friend, somebody who used to work at a at TVO named Sally Ritchie. You remember Sally? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, she'd suggested that um, that perhaps I would enjoy uh, television. And so I applied uh, to a program called Studio 2 and was hired on there uh, and worked at Studio 2 at TVO. I had, I had put my time in at uh, CBC and The National during the summer months, um, uh, but ended up getting hired on at uh, TVO. Um, started, you know, and, and really enjoyed it, frankly, um, really found that the pace of television, the, um, the, the work, I found it very challenging and very stimulating. Certainly the fact that we were doing it on public television helped. Um, hmm. Within a couple well, I of think years- before
0: long, foreign policy sort of became your area of expertise, eh? You were, you were producing the foreign panel on Studio 2. That's right. Uh, Janice Stein, Richard Gwynn, Eric Margulies, and yeah. then eventually uh, co-created Diplomatic Immunity as well, the weekly foreign affairs show.
1: Yep. I always had an interest in foreign affairs, uh, among other things. We, we started Diplomatic Immunity, I believe, in 1998, and it ran probably uh, right up until the beginning of the agenda. Um, in, in, in the mid, in around 2005, um, the powers that be at uh, TVO had asked that I create the new um, nightly flagship program, which you and I then turned into the agenda and so, you know, long story short, um, that's how it came to be. Um, and, uh, and it's still, and it's still going strong. I mean, I, am congratulations to you guys on 15 years. Uh, as you mentioned, I moved on, uh, probably about, well, about five years ago in the summer of 2015, but I'm glad to see that, uh, the agenda continues and that you're, uh, and that you guys and are plugging away and still doing this during this, uh, awful year, 2020.
0: Hmm. Well, let's go back to if I can put you in. I think it was two. Boy, memory is uh, is fading on this, but I think it was two thousand and six. Yeah. Maybe that. Maybe spring or summer of two thousand and six. Summer, I guess. And you and I were sitting in my backyard, and we were sort of kicking around ideas for the
1: for the format of this new show. Do you remember that? Oh, I remember it well. It was a little bit earlier than summer because by the summer we were already well into the preparations. Um, So it was actually late winter, uh, early spring of 2006. Well, wait a minute. I
0: remember that day that we we both, (laughs) not to sound too gross here, but I think you and I
1: both had our shirts off because it was so blazing hot in my backyard that day. I I think you're right. And I do remember that day. Um, My only point is that we had a lot of it already nailed by the summer of 2006. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So as you Always had to a sit down, for there, detail, Mr. Page.
0: Well, I try to be accurate. You do know that I try to be accurate. I, I'm just. Um, I want to take you just back to roughly that time still, sure. because uh, you know I can just imagine the conversations um, in upper management, which basically were, you know, Studio Two has been a good show, but we think its time has come to an end. We need to create something new and more distinctive for the times in which we live, and coincidentally done, if you can you know, make it happen on a smaller budget, that would be a good thing too. <laughs> like, where do you begin to think about, um, you know, everything, what the format of the show is going to be like, who's going to host the show? Is it going to be five nights a week? Uh, are we going to change the time slot or keep it the same? And all of those myriad decisions that have to be made.
1: Right. Um, well, I guess what you start with is, you know, to 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 just refer back to something that we were talking about a couple of minutes ago, you and I had already worked together for probably for 10 years prior to launching the agenda. And, and the first thing that I think it's important to note is that we had a very good working relationship and we had um, a complementarity of skills, I think, right? Um, you were quite interested in the ideas that I uh, seem to have and I was obviously very interested in your, uh, in your intelligence and in your incredible um, uh, talents as, as a host. Uh, so, um, that, that's, I think where it would start, right? In, in my mind, there was, it was always going to be, um, um, a program that, um, took advantage of your unique talents and, uh, dare I say my interests. Um, well, that that kind of answers uh, another question that I
0: had, which was, did you have to use, I, I don't think I've ever asked you this before, but in your conversations with upper
1: management, were you stuck with me as a host? Like, was there any option on that? Well, it, it never came to that. I went to them with the idea, right? So Got it. Um, so, so, my idea was, look, let, let, me, let me put it this way, right? This was, this was 2006, but even in 2005, by way of context, let's remind people what the landscape looked like then, right? This was five years after 9-11. That, uh, that horror, I mean, it's, it's hard to remember today because we're almost 20 years out from that. But that was a horrible, awful, angry day that I know I will never ever forget. And it changed a lot of things, right? It, it cha- we're not talking about the aftermath. We're talking about the, the, the kind of the context that it created. It was three years right after the start of the Iraq war and the emotion and turmoil that that stirred up. And the reason I'm mentioning those two things is because when it, when it comes to journalism, it was a period which frankly and sadly has only gotten worse where it seemed to, to me that consumers of news were more interested in arguments that buttressed their previously held beliefs than in an open-minded pursuit of understanding. Uh, well, it's a good and, thing that
0: doesn't happen anymore.
1: Yeah, really, eh? <laughs> Um, and and maybe it was naive on my part um, that that we that I certainly wanted to have nothing to do with what I then called ammunition journalism. Right. That that the the sole reason that a viewer or a reader or a listener of um, of a journalistic of, of of journalism would be to kind of get more ammunition for their side of the argument. And and I know that I certainly thought about that landscapes that landscape, excuse me, my particular interests, your unique skills and interests and obvious intelligence. And I started thinking about a live daily show um, that would focus on the the depth and the expertise that the agenda has come to be known for. And I, I don't know if you remember, but when we started, Steve, there were a handful of principles that you and I wrote out and I just kind of dusted them off the other day. You want to hear what they are? You know, I was just going to ask you
0: about this because I know that uh, the, the, the relatively new CEO, Lisa DeWild, and Nancy Chappelle, who was heading up um, Current Affairs at the time as a VP Current Affairs, they both wanted a kind of a mission statement out of you on what this new show was going to attempt
1: to be. So, yeah, yeah. perfect. Yeah. Lay it on us. And I never turned it into a mission statement, but I know that you and I came up with a set of principles. And, um... And, and I, I just, in anticipation of this call, I went back and I found them. We aren't the news, but analysis. We don't have the money <laughs> to be the what show. And by that, we meant that we just don't have the money to be a news gathering organization, or, or operation. But we certainly had the brains to be the why show. Um, we would encourage our producers to bring their own insight to the stories that we covered. Not to influence the story, but to personalize it. Um, We would operate in the belief that nothing is too complicated to explain but that good explanation and understanding takes time. And that was a key one right because we you and I both felt strongly that we would have to and we would devote the time we felt was necessary to help our audience understand the issues that we were talking about. That's why we would regularly devote hours of programming sometimes an entire week to a single issue. we it goes on we believe that there are often several sides to an issue not just two and almost never just one and we wanted to make sure that we had many voices around the table and if you recall that's why we had an especially large table at the beginning, back in 2006, which I know we was sure always did. a problem for you. We had a huge I, table.
0: Well, I, I always like very close proximity to my guests because I, I think know. that's how you create chemistry. And I do remember one program we did where we had, <laughs> and the table could accommodate it because it was so damn big. We had nine clergymen on one program <laughs> from all sorts of different religions to have a discussion about, you know, God and you know, <laughs> place of religion in our society. And, yep. oh my Lord, um,
1: that was a big one that That was, but but it 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 shows you actually interestingly, how the the production design was influenced by our ideas. Um, I mean, we ultimately did go to a smaller table. Nine was mm-hmm. a lot, but that that's where that came from, yeah. right? that we wanted to, we to make sure as we as as I just said, that we had many voices um around the table, and perhaps the final one was the the most important one is I know that you and I Felt And you probably still feel strongly. I know I do. um, We believe deeply that if we left people with more questions than answers, then we will have done our job. Right. Um, And and that is crucial. And it was crucial. Right. And I I think that that's something that's been lost uh, in a lot of contemporary journalism. You know, it's an interesting question. Um, Would a program like the agenda be greenlit today? Why do you think it might not be? Well, when you think of those those things that I just laid out there right now, I mean, can you think of too many, uh, or, or many uh, examples of journalistic enterprises that follow those that 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 make a virtue out of not answering questions? I, I know, can't. It's all about know? the food fight today. I, I I regret to say. I I think you're right. On yeah. some channels in
0: particular, which don't have to be named here, but I want to yeah. I, I want to ask you a very direct and personal question, which is. You know, viewers may not know this because when they turn, when they tune into a program, they see the person who's hosting the program sitting there, and, and you know, they tend to think that, quote unquote, the face of the show uh, probably has more uh, influence uh, than he or she actually does. And I want to put that to rest right now because, frankly, you know, the mission statement, the tone, the approach, the subject matter, keeping the show on the path to fulfilling its mission statement, you know, green lighting what subjects, uh, we were going to discuss on the show and what we yeah. were not going to discuss on the show because you know this wasn't going to be a program about everything. It 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 had a lane, you know. Yeah, for sure. That's all on the executive producer. That was all on you. And I want to know, you know, as you were embarking on this new venture, uh, fourteen, fifteen years ago now, mm-hmm. how nervous were you about being
1: able to pull it all off? Um, it's a good question. Uh, I, I I I will confess to have had. First of all, look, I mean, I wasn't brand new at this, right? I had been doing this for 10 years already, and I had run a couple of different shows. Um, and I had some very good teachers, right? So I I never felt that I was going into this cold or that I didn't understand the responsibility of the responsibilities of the job. That said, um, when when it's you that that uh, or in my in my case me that has the the where, where the buck stops sure i mean at the beginning it was it was daunting right um i would i never i never took lightly the responsibility that either i had that you and i had or that tvo had that said i was surrounded by very very talented people um yes at the end of the day if, if there was any if there was ever anything that had to be decided, which there always was. Um, sure, it was, it was my decision, but I never felt unsupported in those decisions. Um, you referenced Nancy Chappelle earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very good uh, relationship with Nancy, um, and you know, Na- Nancy's m- motto, which I then translated um, into the agenda was, just don't leave, if you want my support, make sure you don't leave me in the dark. Right? Just open communication, good communication, make sure that I know what's going on. Um, That was very important. The other thing is, Steve, is that you and I spent quite a bit of time um, training uh, the staff, uh, making sure that we had good people, that we had very talented producers. You and I spent an enormous amount of time at the beginning um, helping producers see our vision for the show, Making sure they understood what it was that made a quote-unquote agenda program, Um, you know what kinds of guests we were looking to do, Um, and uh, so you know I was never in it alone. Um, You know, in some senses, you can ask the question of you as well, right? Sure. Behind the scenes, um, if there are questions that have to be answered at the end of the day, I'm I was the person, the executive producer is the person who makes the final call. But when the door closes on the studio right you're in that you're in that chair and at you know uh yeah you've got somebody in your ear but it's it's really you who's driving the bus so well i don't
0: mind telling you done uh, you know going from studio two where it was yours truly plus a co-host plus uh alan Gregg doing field work as well so in in essence two and a half hosts to fill an hour yeah. going from that to the agenda where i was the sole host filling an hour I don't know if I've told you this before, but I'm, I'm telling you now, for the first probably two, two and a half, maybe even three seasons of the agenda, I felt like I was treading water <laughs> with weights on my feet, trying to go as fast as I could just to keep my head above water. The workload was exponentially more. Yeah. And and in spite of all of what you've just said being true, you know, I felt very supported by you and by our wonderful team. Uh, it, it, boy, it, it took a long time to figure out the shortcuts of the job, and, and it was pretty intense. I, I do remember, though, the moment where, and we're several seasons in now, I don't know if you remember this, where you and I walked out of your office after a meeting, and we looked at all of the staff sitting at a table, having lunch, and discussing whatever. Do you remember that moment? Well, go on. Because we looked at each other, and we said, huh, we, I think this is
1: working. Yeah, we did it.
0: Yeah. The staff, they, they like each other. They yeah. like collaborating. They love discussing the issues to make their pitches better. And, and that was a bit of an issue because by the end of Studio 2, not all the staff did. I mean, we'll, we'll tell tales out of school here. Not all the staff did like each other and not all the staff felt supported and everything was not tickety-boo. And we felt really good about the fact that we'd been able to create this environment
1: with your leadership uh, that allowed people to do their best work. Anyway, that's how I remember it. I do remember that moment, and I also recall it was I do remember that moment, and I remember a feeling of pride um, and accomplishment at that moment. And you're right, that it did take a while. I remember that at the end of the first season, um, I, in my own kind of cheat sheet, I gave the agenda kind of a six out of 10. Right and and all I, I mean I was pleased with what was going on and this is shouldn't be taken as a as a poor reflection on you and the work that you did but all I, I could was just re- going to ask what what number were you giving the host <laughs> <laughs> the host was uh, a
0: five but the show was a six
1: the show was an eight but the host was a five right <laughs> the, the, the I had. We had such a clear idea of what it was that we wanted to do. And by the way, I don't for a second doubt, and I remember you you never showed that you were barely keeping your head, that you were just treading water, which is an an incredible thing. Um, Number one. Number two, I always knew that there was no one else in Canada that could do what it was that the show demanded other than you. That is a very tough assignment every single night to go in depth on a different issue um, for an hour with nobody else and no commercial breaks. Uh, the, the, I, I believe you when you say that the demands on your time were exponentially uh, greater than they had been. Um, and I know it took you a few years to figure out the shortcuts. It took me some time to figure out not only shortcuts, but what where I was comfortable to actually you know uh, ask others to do cer- certain types cert cer- um what's the word I'm looking for delegate <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> right um funny that that wouldn't be in my vocabulary that easily <laughs> um. it's it's actually not funny it's perfectly consistent <laughs> with the guy i know <laughs> actually well, but, you should tell it,
0: the, we should <laughs> tell the joke we always tell right what's well, unique about our partnership uh wh- okay here we go i'm going to okay. i'm going to you and I are the only executive producer and host of any current affairs show in North America where the executive producer has a bigger ego than the host. <laughs> and you
1: and I both know that. <laughs> you know, I've never accepted that to be true. Um, <laughs> Poppycock. You, you, you know, you know I th- what, what, what joke I thought you were going to um, say is at the agenda, we had a saying, and this may prove your joke. Uh, the program was all about smart, sophist- smart and sophisticated content presented in a warm and welcoming way. I yes. was the smart and sophisticated, you were the warm and welcoming. <laughs> okay, you've just made my case. Thank you very much. <laughs> but well, I know the- that that was very tough at, at the beginning. And, um, and you know, um, I'm grateful to the fact, for, for the fact that we found an audience, that an audience found us, and was willing to give us not only the benefit of the doubt, but to support us in what we were doing. Because we heard right from the get-go that... There were lots of people out there who enjoyed it, um, who wanted more of that, and who appreciated what we were trying to do and what we did end up doing um, with the agenda. And that's a great, great thing.
0: Well, and and in particular, when you think about the fact that that Studio 2 did have a following at the end, and there were lots of people who would certainly come up to me during that summer after Studio 2 was cancelled and before the new show, eventually called The Agenda Started, and they were saying, Steve, have you guys lost your mind? Why would you cancel this show? It was doing perfectly fine, and we liked it, and it it was occasionally difficult to get people to say, just hang on, wait and see what we've got in store for you. We think you're going to like it, but you know, a lot of people were from Missouri at the beginning. They're done. They were just saying, yep. you know, you got to show, show me. me. Yep. Right. Yep. Now l- l- let's finish up on this because as, uh, I'm not going to ask, you know, what your favorite show was or who your favorite guests were or anything like that. But, but as you think about your time there, getting the agenda up and rolling and off the ground and seeing it, shepherding it through its first decade, um, what do you remember? What really comes to mind? Huh. Uh,
1: there are several things that, that come to mind, Steve. Um, Um, I, I always found it incredibly rewarding when we introduced, uh, an idea or a topic that wasn't in the mainstream, um, which is always a tricky thing to do, right? Um, because you, you need to find an audience where they are and it's, it's, it's a bit of a risky thing to do. Um, but you know, there were times where we were talking about issues or ideas um, that really came at um, something topical uh, sideways. And whenever we did that, and we were able to synthesize various things that are going on out in, uh, in the world and create something that others, other people, audiences, hadn't considered, I felt very good about that. That's one thing. Um, I, I, I take... Some I take pride in the fact that well, no, let me let me put it a different way I am grateful for the fact that TVO uh, allowed and greenlit and supported and continues to support one place in a television broadcast universe that still attempts to Put into action every night the principles on which you and I founded the program. That's a wonderful thing third thing I saw staff that grew more interested and grew, over time, grew more appreciative of the uniqueness of the agenda. And that's that's saying something in the media universe that we're in. Um, you know, uh, sure. I mean, everybody wants to hold on to a job, and there's no question that jobs in journalism, Are growing more scarce but I don't think that's the 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 primary or even a reason why we have uh, and why you continue to have the loyalty of of staff and people who want to come and work for this program and that extended by the way online once um, once the digital revolution really took over in earnest right there were people that were really interested in 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 helping us to figure out how do we make the, the agenda work digitally, right? Where it's extraordinarily hard outside of podcasts to, to, to put those principles in action. Um, you know, th- those are the things that come, come to mind, Steve. And, and also, um, uh, I'm really grateful for the, for the fact that I was able to do it with you Um, this, you know, we, we, there were times you may recall, and we don't have to get into specifics where it wasn't so easy between you and I, we certainly, (laughs) first of all, between (laughs) you and me, I'm going to correct your grammar. My grammar, be my father. And and second of all, Yeah, no,
0: no question about it. I mean, w- while I'd say you and I were on the same page ninety-seven percent of the time, yeah. uh, the three percent was uh, really entertaining and, <laughs> and energetic from time to time.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, and, and and despite that, uh, uh, I'm I haven't been at TVO for five years. You and I stay in regular contact. We see each other when we can. Uh, we still exchange a lot of ideas. Obviously, the pandemic has slowed that down. Uh, and I maintain great contacts with lots of people at TVO. So, you know, this was this was a, a, a big part of my life. Uh, I'm proud of what it is that we accomplished. You know, you, your question, you know, is there one guest? Is there one show? No, it's little things that you remember. You remember the look of a particular guest when they are, are surprised at the quality of the question or surprised at the quality of the program, um, things like that. I... I um, you know, th- th- that's the kind of thing that, that really, that I remember, Steve. Yeah,
0: I would totally agree. And and props to you for assembling and leading such a really eclectic and great team of people. I know this will probably sound to listeners, uh, you know, rather self-indulgent to say all this, but but the reality is, you know, a guy like Wodek Schemberg, who's 10 years older than me, and, and then we've got lots of producers on the program who are basically the same age as my children. You know, we've got a vast panoply of experiences there and yet you brought them all together and it all seemed to work out pretty well
1: and we're still at it. So thanks. You're, you're, you're very welcome. Congratulations on 15 years and on TVO's 50th. That's a, a, a wonderful achievement and I take my uh, audio hat off to you and to everything that you guys continue to do. If I can paraphrase Elton John, we're still standing,
0: which is not bad at all. Terrible song, though, Steve. Oh, please. Elton John's the greatest. Dun Dun, it's <laughs> good to talk to you again. <laughs> nice to speak with you, Steve. That's Dun Dunsky, the first executive producer of The Agenda. Dan, great to hear your voice as always, and I'll see you soon. Take care. And that's it for us. This episode of TVO at 50 was produced by Katie O'Connor and Matthew O'Mara. Editing by Donnie Swanson. Research help from Kate Petch. Carol Elder and Elizabeth Carroll. Our production support coordinators are Jonathan Halliwell and Nikki Ashworth. We want you to share your TVO memories. What does TVO mean to you? Record yourself and email the audio to us using the address tvo at 50 at tvo.org. That's TVO, A-T, and the numbers five, zero, at tvo.org. And we'll play these on future episodes. Next time on the podcast... It's our way of just like
1: expanding that, that view, that screen. We bring the world to your living room, and, and we can do it with really beautiful blue chip, high quality, or very provocative films, or um, films that bring you perspectives uh, that we wouldn't have access to doing here.
0: I'm Steve Paikin, bye bye.